Hi everyone and welcome to For Fact's Sake, the ferrets podcast about misinformation and fact checking. I am your host as always, Ali Bryan, and alongside me, my friend, the Voltaire of The Voice, Paul Dobson. How are you, Paul? That was your best for weeks. That was good. You spent a bit of time on that one, did you? Or... Well, I just they just come to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm well, yeah, doing well. Uh, as you listen to this, I'll be on holiday. So, yeah, lucky. off, enjoying myself, sunning myself in, in potentially Glasgow, the way the weather's been this week. But Wow, what a trip. We have a uh, bumper podcast this week. Mm-hmm. We've got a fantastic interview with Ollie Buckley, who's a professor of cybersecurity at University of East Anglia. And he's telling us all about scams how to avoid falling for them and how technology is being used to play on our fears and make these scams more effective and dangerous. What else have we got coming up, Paul? Yeah, so you're looking at a claim by Anna Sarwar, the Labour leader in Scotland, about child poverty north of the border. And we are also on Paul's Curiosity Corner discussing mouth breathing. And that's not an insult that's normally directed at us. It's actually a viral debate that's going on on tiktok and specifically about how you can improve the way you breathe excellent so as two masters of the voice our breathing is superb and well controlled but this will certainly be uh, very useful for our listeners nice one shall we get into it let's do it My name's uh, Professor Ollie Buckley. I'm a professor of cybersecurity at the University of East Anglia. Um, my work is mostly focused on privacy, security, and trust, but particularly um, how humans interact with technology. So evolving technologies like AI and how people interact with them and trust them are really interesting to me. Excellent. And that uh, intersects very uh, nicely with what we're talking about today, which is about online scams. Um, obviously, online scams, email scams are have been going for decades now as the internet becomes geriatric but how have they developed over the years and what stage are they at at the present day so um we're still seeing a lot of uh we still get a lot of email scams i'm sure most of your listeners will know that their inbox is inundated and that's because that's a really um it's a really cheap thing to do you can just blast out loads of emails and if you get one in a hundred thousand people replying that's that's good money it's a good return on investment but what we're starting to see now is things that are slightly more tailored so um that can be Rather than just a, a broad spectrum phishing um, email, you might get something that's more targeted because of all the information we share on social media and on the internet in different places. That's called a, a spear phishing campaign. And then we're seeing an evolution into things uh, using AI to generate voices or videos of people that we might know or trust and trying to uh, encourage the victim to give away details on money that they might not otherwise do. Yeah, well, I think that obviously the kind of classic uh, email scam is the like quote-unquote nigerian prince giving you cash um or they offering to give you cash like i've got two questions about that one like is that sort of stuff still going and how successful is that like to the effort is what's the effort reward ratio like on something like that i know you say it's easy but it's still going yeah there's there's lots of scams like that and variations on the theme it might not be a nigerian prince it might be Mm. some other person that needs some short-term loan or some investment of cash to help them out um i had did some digging around and the uh, the traditional Nigerian print scam still made about $700,000 worldwide a couple of years ago. So it's still, that's not a bad return on investment. All no. you have to do is sit at your computer and you can automate sending out emails really easily. You 
various places on the internet you can go and find lists of emails that have been involved in data breaches or that have been lost or stolen or you can just scrape something like twitter or sorry x or facebook or linkedin Mm. or something like that and you can build up a data set quite quickly there's lots of tools that you can just go and download on the internet that will help you with that so it's not um the the effort is genuinely quite low there's quite a low technical bar to entry and um it people still reply yeah what are are these organizations like are they like is it organizations that are doing this is it like are they quite like professionalized and i don't know it's hard to say um it it can be it can just be people chancing it um there are elements of of these kinds of scams and cybercrime things that are becoming more of a business so ransomware is something Mm. that's in the news quite often um and that is operates like a business now effectively that you get hit by ransomware your company's stuff all gets locked up and you can't view it and then often the the people who've given you the ransomware and infected it have got a customer support line effectively where you can ring and get get it unlocked and stuff so yeah in some respects these things are becoming a lot more professional and a lot more streamlined Hmm. so that's that's more like almost like gangs of hackers working together rather than yeah yeah rather than um but the email scams it could be uh yeah like a, a uh, an organized group patrol farm just all individuals because it's so easy to do i mean if you really wanted to you could probably go and set up an email scam today and it's yeah it's uh so and what the new scams are doing the evolution of that they're just doing the same thing and playing on kind of human perceptions and human um anxieties and, and maximizing those right could you talk a little bit about that i mean what how do they play upon those sort of well, things particularly anxieties and stuff online so for example um the the one you mentioned, the, the Nigerian prince type scam where it says if you give me £2,000 in six months, I'll give you half a million because of accessing my investments. That's just playing yeah. on our, our desire to be a bit greedy. Um, money for yeah. nothing is always exciting. So we start to see this rise in scams of um, voice scams, AI voice scams, where <clears throat> you will get a phone call and it might be someone that you recognize on the other end. It will sound like someone you, that you recognize. Uh, asking for help, saying they're in trouble, had a car crash, they're in jail, they need you to send them some money. And these are things, uh, fake versions of someone's voice or video even that are created to to kind of play on that um, panic, that sense of time pressure mm-hmm. that our loved one could be in trouble, so we've got to do something and they're in jail. So there's a real time window on that and they could be hurt. So it's, it's playing on all of those um, fears and worries that about protecting the people we love. That's interesting you mentioned, we'll skip forward to talking about the AI scams, because obviously we know that AI, like with deep fakes and stuff and generative AI being used significantly for like celebrities and to make, you know, public figures like Joe Biden gets caught with them regularly, Trump, uh, Zelensky, etc. But how are they doing it with people, like I say, a loved one who's not famous? Like, how are they getting the, the raw data to create that? So you can uh, go online and um, capture get someone's voice um and find a service that will do that there are quite a few different tools on the web now that mm. you can create a copy of someone's voice with about a minute of good audio wow so the key thing is the clarity of the audio it doesn't have to necessarily be the um it doesn't have to be a long speech yeah it can just be um a, yeah a minute of really crystal clear audio and if you think about things where people upload things certainly myself i've got a couple of podcasts a couple of uh, youtube videos i've got lectures yeah. i've got uh, maybe some videos on social media. It's really easy to get that sample of someone's voice. So both you of us are that. really in the danger zone then. Aren't yeah, we? exactly. Yeah. Um, but most people will have 
and it's a growing trend that we share quite a lot online. Um, so getting access to that audio isn't too difficult for most people. It, I mean, it wouldn't work particularly well or as well to go to a cafe and record someone, but mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it's about getting a sample of audio. You run it through an algorithm on the web, um, which is really nice. Most of them have got a really nice usable web interface. Yeah. And then uh, it spits out something to the side where you can type in what you want it to say and it'll, it'll read that off for you. So it, you can make something quite convincing with very little input. Yeah, well, that's I think leads on to like what I was going to ask about, about information, like personal information online. And I was struck by a video that was in one of the articles that you um wrote for the conversation or involved in yeah. writing which was about um which is like a cafe which, where they um there was like a you they asked your name and your email outside to get a free coffee yeah and then the, in the time that they were making the coffee they were getting people feeding into their ear like giving all the information they could find out about you and it yeah. included you know we were getting like street addresses uh relatives uh, jobs such such so it, that's obviously and some of that's going to be through social platforms and things but is that is there just the nature of the way that like the internet works now and, and like all the different ways that people sign up different parts of like, you know, uh, different websites and stuff means that you can kind of piecemeal a huge amount of information? Yes. Uh, so it can be a lot, a bit of legwork to piece together all the information. But if you've got someone in mind that you want to target, you, I, I set this as a, a task for my students sometimes in, a, in our seminars where they go and find out as much about me as they can on the internet, which is probably not the best idea. But um, yeah, so my i've got pictures of my cats and where i live and you can put piece together all sorts of information about people from just what they share that being fairly innocuous and i think that's the nature of the internet and the kind of hyper connected society that we're building towards i think some of the elements of the pandemic pushed us slightly further towards this in that we got really used to doing like zoom this is it's totally normal now to do a video call it's totally normal to communicate with people online. Um, we started doing lots of stuff online, whether that was going to the doctor or going to the bank and all this stuff became really normalized. So I, I think I think it's really powerful in some ways. We've got this really connected society where it's harder to, it's easier to not feel isolated because there are people out there, but we share quite a lot of our information. And so that gives quite a lot of fuel to uh, the fire of a scammer trying to find out information about you. Do you have any recommendations or any things that you think people are sort of slack about regarding their cybersecurity that they could maybe do like quite easily, just like our listeners? Yeah, I, I think sometimes the general general attitude is that I don't need to worry about it. Cybersecurity is not for me. I don't do anything important. It's not, I've yeah. got, I haven't got any really exciting data. I haven't got accounts with millions of pounds and it doesn't really matter, but um, it can be quite impactful. So sometimes just even knowing that someone has an account on a particular service is quite revealing. So um, several years ago, there was the whole Ashley Madison thing, the online affair finding site. And when people, just when they got breached and all the email lists came out, the fact that some people had an account on there was really damaging. So I think the first thing is being quite skeptical and being cautious about what you sign up for. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, the, The most practical thing in terms of a technical solution is using a password manager. So... Yeah. They come built into Chrome, they're built into the iPhone, they're built into Android phones. They're really good. Um, it means you have to you can have one incredibly strong password to unlock everything, and then everything else it can just be random strings of 20, 30 characters that you don't need to remember. And that's really, really powerful. It's a really good tool to protect yourself online. Mm. Um, 
and yeah i i think being skeptical is really the the main thing so yeah uh if you get a call and you think it's from a loved one and they're saying they're in a car crash and they need hundreds of pounds right now um it's really difficult it's really easy to say not to panic and but difficult in the moment but try and think objectively would they do that you can send them a text to validate it's them uh, if yeah. you get a call from someone selling you something or saying claiming to be someone you can call them back if it's a reputable company and they they will understand and if the ba- banks particularly will understand if you say you want to call them back so it's just about being a bit more critical and thinking that it, it is your pro- if it's everyone's problem it's everyone's concern your data might not seem that important but it could be worth quite a lot to someone else down the line yeah okay well these are quite like um, like you might say traditional uh, forms of uh, <laughs> like um scamming and you know stealing people's passwords but i wonder in our in like our sort of fact checking disinformation side of things the obviously everybody's talking about the impact of ai and how difficult it can be for experts to verify things and particularly with ai images and ai video as they develop and as the the kind of barrier for entry becomes lower it becomes almost could potentially become almost impossible to identify what's real and what's not um using the traditional um tools is that the same in the sort of cybersecurity world as well uh yeah i mean so generative ai is it's amazing it's i use yeah. quite regularly for lots of different things but it yeah you can create i mean i even by no means a video editor or a sound engineer but i could go and create a video or some audio of someone based on information you'd find online and that's quite scary but also quite impressive um yeah yeah it there are, there are things to look out for sometimes so um with the audio of a video someone um things like intonation or accent or cadence or rhythm of the way they talk. Sometimes they're just not quite right. There's something that sounds a little bit off. Um, the pronunciation of words might be slightly inconsistent across the way it speaks because maybe it hasn't had enough training data to cover the huge range of sounds that we can make. Right, yeah. Um, with videos, sometimes it's really hard to put my finger on it, but it's almost that uncanny valley type thing where it looks yeah. just a bit not real. So originally it was things like blinking, Um the videos didn't blink particularly well or often or convincingly, but then the people creating the algorithms made it so they, the blinks were better and it kind of became, it becomes this arm rate, arms race then of software to detect them and software to create them and seeing who can win. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's usually just looking to see what doesn't look quite right. There's usually some kind of tell. So um, there was a video of Elon Musk um, introduced by Martin Lewis, both of which were faked and there's just something that doesn't it looks kind of cg it doesn't look quite right the way he turns the way he moves his face yeah. doesn't the smile doesn't quite move up to his face so it is just being a bit more objective i guess um, and wondering if if that's something that's likely you know, so how likely is it that zelensky is just going to put a video out on youtube to say everyone in the ukraine surrendered is that how you see the future of like kind of scams and these sort of online misleading things particularly with things that are trying to sell you something or to take something from you is that where it seems to be going like that using the technology technology has always kind of been driven by or when the technology evolves we get scams and we get some kind of crime associated with it so the internet launched and then we got fake emails and we got phishing emails and yeah um video calls um became a big thing and now you can get fake video calls and yeah i think it is i i don't think it's um quite a terminator levels yet where we have to worry about the robots impersonating us and doing all that i just think there is um there's broader uh, there's a broader attack surface there's more places where we could be targeted than they used to be and i just think that's um 
that is probably the way life is now because we are so tied to the internet we're so tied to being connected to people all around the world world and it's a trade-off as to whether that connectivity and the, the benefits it gives us are worth it for some of the, the risks and the, the controls and mitigations we have to put in place So, Ali, last week you looked at some of the reaction to the Scottish Government's programme for government, uh, in particular one claim from a certain Labour leader, Mr Anna Sarwar, around the SNP's performance on reducing child poverty. So can you tell the listeners what the claim that Sarwar made was? Yeah, so after Hamza Yusuf finished his speech, uh, making a statement about the Scottish Government's priorities for the next year, uh, Anna Sarwar stood up and... uh, started to criticize the Scottish government and the SNP's record in government and particularly around poverty and he said one in four children is in poverty on the SNP's watch. Okay so what is the rate of child poverty in Scotland and how do they measure that? So there's quite a few different ways that they measure it um, and you see quite a lot of different terminology uh, that floating around when people are talking about poverty in general. The, The main one that's used and the one that Anna Sarr was pointing towards is relative poverty. Um, so relative child poverty it looks at the difference between like, children in the poorest household and compares it to the middle income in the UK. So that's meant to show you how okay. well the poorest uh, households are keeping up with the increase in incomes across the country. Um, on this measure, Anna Sarr is right in terms of uh, his statistical claim. Uh, the latest figures show that 24% of Scottish children are in poverty. Uh, you also sometimes hear the term absolute poverty in the discussion. This one, instead of uh, comparing it to uh, the median income, the middle income, it does a baseline year middle income, which is usually 2010, 2011. Um, and that's adjusted for inflation to compare against the poorest household, to see if their wages are rising in line with inflation. So it's less compa- comparing to other incomes, but to the rate of inflation. In that, on that measure, 21% of Scottish kids are in absolute poverty, uh, according to the last statistics we got to 2022. How does that actually compare to when the SNP first came to office? So there hasn't really been a huge amount of progress uh, on child poverty statistics over the course of the SNP's time in office. Um, when they got in, relative child poverty was 24%. Uh, and it remains at 24%. There was a reduction um, over the first sort of five, six years of the SNP's time in government, but it's crept back up uh, in recent years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, the in terms of the claim, we uh, went with a straightforward true. I think Anna Sauer's got this one correct. So in this week's edition of Paul's Curiosity Corner, we're discussing a viral debate that has been going on on TikTok, the young people's social media platform. Namely, the debate is about the risks of mouth breathing and whether we should actually be taping our mouth shut while we sleep. So Ali, you've been looking a bit further into this debate and could you tell us a little bit more about what impacts mouth breathing has on our health? Yeah, so the advantages of breathing through your nose are quite well established. Uh, without being kind of overly obvious about it, your nose is designed for breathing. Uh, so it has several unique functions that can help you to do that. 
it does you know your nose hair filters out things like dust pollen and other things which can cause allergies uh your nose humidifies the air you breathe in which makes it easier for your lungs to use it and it also creates nitric oxide which can help to improve oxygen circulation around the body um mouth breathing doesn't have these advantages um and it has been linked you know to some quite negative things for your health it can be linked to uh, increasing your risk of asthma, okay, snoring, and sleep apnea. Um, some of the TikTok influencers who talk about mouth breathing have gone a bit further than this and suggested that it can, you know, mouth breathing can cause crooked teeth and it can negatively affect the structure of your facial bones. And if you do mouth taping, you can improve these things. This is a little bit too far. Um, certainly for adults, that's not something that's going to happen. So yeah, a lot of the stuff that's the kind of negative things about breathing through your mouth have been kind of accurately highlighted by influence on TikTok, although some have gone too far. But the misleading and kind of more worrying thing about it is the solution that is being proposed by them, which is at the aforementioned mouth taping. Let's go into that in a little bit more detail. So you mentioned the, the mouth taping, but is that the only remedy they've suggested or is it the main remedy they've suggested? Well, it seems that a lot of the people who are, are talking about sort of mouth breathing on TikTok and I are actually promoting specific brands of mouth taping. So you'll see some people talking about, um, oh yeah, this brand, you can't just tape your mouth. Normally you've got to use this specific brand, <laughs> blah, 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 that sort of thing. You know, that's a thing that happens on TikTok quite a lot is that people are being paid by influence, by brands to use their influence in order to make people buy their products. Not the first thing to do so. One of the problems with mouth taping is it's become like a lot more popular and a lot more talked about on socials over the last year or so. Um, because I say it's been take, picked up by these health and fitness influencers across these different platforms. Um, I also noticed that uh, the Man City footballer Erling Haaland recently mentioned that he uses mouth taping when he sleeps. Um, so the kind of supposed health benefits of mouth taping are improving your sleep and stopping you. There's all sorts of claims which have been attached to it, like stopping people from getting sinus infections and uh, stopping people from having things like sleep apnea and improving people's lives, stopping brain fog and all sorts of things which are supposedly associated with uh, mouth breathing. Essentially, it's, it is what it says in the tin. It's taping your mouth closed before you go to bed to force you to breathe through your nose. Around 30 to 50% of people apparently breathe through their mouths instead of their nose, um, and mouth taping is supposed to be the solution to that problem. The problem with it is that it's a kind of blanket solution for people who breathe through their mouth, but it's not getting to the cause of the problem. So people breathe through their mouths for all sorts of different reasons, basically. It can be because they've got, you know, because they've got sleep obstructive sleep apnea. They've got um, things like asthma, a deviated septum, sinusitis, various allergies. And for some of these causes, if you just tape your mouth up, that could be dangerous because it restricts your breathing. <laughs> yeah, I think what most uh, experts would suggest is if you've got, if you breathe through your mouth, it's usually caused by some reason. And you should try and get that seen to by getting, you know, going to your doctor and then getting a sleep study, doing various exercises, or, you know, you can use like nasal strips to widen your nose. Probably a better option than just taping your mouth up. That's all we've got time for for this week's episode. Uh, thanks so much to Ollie for coming on and sharing his insights on how not to get scammed online. Uh, so, Paul, if you want to get in touch with us about anything, uh, what should they do? They can find us on all the usual social media channels, so Twitter or X, whatever you're calling it now. Facebook, just the ferret, 
Uh, we're also on LinkedIn, and we also have our community forum, which is community.thefair.scot, which uh, has various discussion points, polls, etc., for our readers and ways for our readers to interact with the journalists at the fair. Excellent. And as always, if you want to contact us directly via email, you can factcheck at thefair.scot. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.